Grace. Grace and peace to the fullest. Those were Peter's words in verse 2 as we began this letter. His desire for us as we would read this letter, the very words that God had put on his heart and given him for the church, is that you and I would understand, have the knowledge of grace and peace to its very fullest. As Peter has been writing to the church, his desire is that you and I would increase in our knowledge that it is Christ who's building his church. As we would go through the words, we would see this amazing salvation that Jesus Christ has given us. And not only would we see this powerful salvation, but we would see how this salvation is to work in our lives. That you and I are to be that effective witness of Jesus Christ in the way that we live. And Peter unfolds that in some beautiful ways, some challenging ways. Remember, as we read this letter, Peter was challenging us that we are to have submissive hearts to those around us. We looked at our submission to authorities and powers. We saw that submission played out and worked out and demonstrated in, in our, our workplaces, our families, our marriages. Oh, and the power that, that comes to proclaim the grace of Jesus Christ through that. We, we looked at our need to focus on Christ. Regardless of the circumstances around us, you and I are to have an unwavering focus on Jesus Christ. Oh, how encouraging that was. And as we do it, as we go through the suffering, as we go through the hardships that this life brings, you and I are to practice perseverance. That was a hard one to hear, wasn't it? Yeah. But as we were challenged to do that, remember that Peter gave us some very practical ways to just live out our faith. I like practical. And this letter oozes with practical. Oozes. That's a theological word, just in case you were wondering. But throughout the letter, Peter is letting you and I know that we represent Jesus Christ. We represent something greater than ourselves. And last week we looked at how God has given the church elders and shepherds to care for. And in all of that, as, as shepherds and sheep, you and I are to clothe ourselves in humility. As we look at the final verses of this letter today, the final words that Peter pens to the church we can almost sense an urgency 
as he states these challenges, these truths for you and I to implement in our lives. Please follow along as, as Peter almost cries out, Church, I want you to hear this. 1 Peter chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. He says, therefore. Kind of summarizing the whole letter. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in the proper time. Oh. Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering by your brethren who are in the world after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Wow. To him, be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Through Silvanus, our faithful brother, for I regard him so, I have written you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. There's an exclamation point in my Bible there. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings. And so does my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace be to you all who are in Christ. Wow. What a way to end a letter, huh? We have 20 minutes to unpack this. I'm excited. Are you? I mean, this, this is good stuff. And as we look at this, we are going to see several things. Peter, in his urgency and wrapping up all of these things that he has been writing to us, says, Is my mic going in and out? It's weird. I don't know. Okay, we'll figure that out. I'll talk loud. Remember humility, Peter says. He goes, also, I want you to just release worry. Can't wait to get to that one, right? Remain sober, resist the devil, really suffer well, and realize his peace. Yes, I had to work a little bit on those R's, okay? But it really came together well. Actually, the only one that actually I had to work on was that last one with peace. I'm like, we got to realize that. Ah, there we go. But as we look at these final words, we are going to look at this. But I want us to notice, before we look at these things, the unity in the body of Christ as Peter is writing this. Look at the unity in the body. Verses 12 through 13. Kind of as we were looking at all that, maybe made you go, huh, that's weird. Did you notice those, those were kind of different, just different verbiage, wasn't it? 
In all honesty, if you were reading that letter when Peter initially wrote it, you would have gone, whoa! That's different handwriting. It's big and sloppy, like a fisherman. Peter takes the pen from Savannah or Silas. And he writes these words in his own hand. See, paper was very... And, and as Peter is, is writing this, he has Silas write it so he can put as much as he can on that paper as he writes this letter. He tells them this has been brief. You're like, really brief? I mean, man, we've been in this for months. Well, if you sat down and read it, start to finish, it wouldn't be that long. It's one of the shorter letters, honestly. His next letter is even shorter. He's a get-to-the-point kind of guy. But as he does this, he's writing, and he appreciates Silas. All of a sudden, we see someone working there with Peter. And then we recognize that Peter is writing this, this church abroad in numerous locations. He says, what I've written is true. What I've written is about the grace of God for you and me. He's excited, he's passionate, he says, stand firm in it. I love that he doesn't say, run a marathon in it. No, he says, plant those feet and stand firm. And then we get to some confusing things. That woman in, in Babylon and all of that. How many of you are like, oh, that's confusing. Yeah, you know, it's only two of you. Wow, the rest of you I want to talk with afterwards. Because, man, scholars are confused about this even. There's speculation on, on various things. And evidently the church that it was originally wrote to would have understood in a heartbeat. We don't know if the woman was, was his wife or, or it was the church that was in Rome. We don't know. I personally kind of lean towards it was the church. And, and Babylon is, is most likely, because Babylon at that time was desolate. But would we speculate that it might have been Rome or the world system, whatever it is. But you know what's encouraging? Is there was those in other places that were sending their greetings, sending their prayers to these different churches. I love that, that we pray for our, our missionaries and, and churches over in Russia. Oh, what a blessing that is. I love that the kids got so excited with, with the farmers this week and hearing about what God is doing down in Mexico. That you and I get to engage with them and get excited about what God is doing. Remember when, when the Weicho Bible was translated, the whole thing, and we celebrated as a church. Why? Because God is working abroad. He is working everywhere. And Peter is saying, we are excited about this. They knew what was going on. It wasn't just this local group and this internal huddle. Church, we need to make sure that we have a perspective that sees God working outside these walls. To 
the church around the world. And Peter begins by reminding them of humility. Humility. Remember humility. That can be a tough one, can't it? Swindoll writes this. I appreciated how he worded it. He goes, In an age like ours, the countercultural message of humility is neither popular nor appreciated. At a time when looking good is considered more important than being good, and when superficial impressions make a bigger splash than solid. Who has the time for things like submission, dependence, and trust? In our dog-eat-dog, cut-in-line lifestyle, deferring to others looks stupid and sounds silly, in contrast to the world's narcissistic plan for success. Peter writes this letter. I love that. And we see throughout this that Peter has been discussing time and time our submission to various ones around us, and it's not normal. In fact, when we read it, we're like, really? Is that what it says in the original Greek? We want some out, don't we? You know why? Because that's not normal. But Peter closes with, Submit, humble yourselves under the powerful hand of God. Amongst all other things, submit, humble yourself under His hand. Do you realize that humility is the mark and identifier of our Lord Jesus Christ? Read Philippians. As Christians, it should be our identifying trait, our humility. We just partook of, of, of the bread and the cup. Do you realize right before that Jesus himself put on the servant's apron, he knelt down and washed their feet, including Judas, who would soon betray him with a kiss. It should be the identifying trait of believers. Humility. We often seek greatness. We want people to look at us and go, Wow! Oh, you're really good at this or that or whatnot. Whereas God says, No, I want them to look at you and go, Wow! What a great God. Wow! That's where our lives should point. And Peter challenges them to an attitude of humility under his mighty hand. Think about that for just a moment. Placing yourself under the hand of God. Under the hand of God. Peter is writing to those who are suffering, who are going through persecution. What an amazing place to be under his powerful hand. That he would raise them up and glorify them in the proper time. 
recognizing that, that we are to have a humble spirit before him, placing ourselves under his hand, really leads well to the next challenge. Let go of worry. How many of you in here struggle with worry? Sinners. <laughs> Me too. I, I love that Peter says, let go of all your anxieties. And they had anxieties. Things like burning at a stake, being fed to a lion, those things could worry a person. It might worry me, anyway. This is not a suggestion, by the way. Peter doesn't write and say, you know, I think it would be good for you to do this. Just offering some advice, you know. No. He says, this is something you, as the church, as Christians, are to do. Release, cast all your worries, all your anxieties on Him. Not some, not most, all. Why? Because Christ cares for you. That's a good reason. Remember last week we talked about shepherds. Remember we are His sheep. His flock. He cares for you. In that caring, we see that as His sheep, we should not be concerned. Where of you and I in an intimate way? And I would go on and on about worry, but you know, here in a couple of weeks, Nathan is going to preach a whole sermon on not worrying, so you'll get it there. I can't wait to hear that message. Don't worry, he's not worrying about it. Right, Nathan? No, all right. I, I want you guys, though, to see this, this equation. It's a good equation, and I think it's good for us to remember. It's not unique with me. But submission to others plus humility before God minus the worries of the world equals genuine relief. Wouldn't it be amazing to walk out of here with genuine relief? There you go. No. Next one, remain sober. Peter is talking to us. He's, he's looking at us and saying, listen, you're sheep. It's safe to be under His hand. But you need to remain alert, sober, watchful, aware of what is occurring. Why? Well, we have this adversary. How many of you were aware we had an adversary? I'm concerned for some of you. You're like, no clue. We do. And Peter warns the church there is an adversary. Be on the alert. Think clearly. When you go into battle, you want to be alert. You don't want to approach it with a fuzzy mindset. And Peter's like, I've given you what you need. 
You and I need to think intentional about how we live, about what we do, day in, day out, moment by moment. We need to implement this. The problem is, is we base so much of life on feeling. We need to think clearly. Be sober. Did you notice how our adversary is described? Peter uses the picture of a roaring lion. I looked it up. Do you know why lions roar? It's to scare or intimidate intruders. If I was by a lion and it roared, I would be intimidated. It works. It lets intruders know that this is my territory. It's interesting, Satan goes around earth going, Rawr. This world is his domain. His purpose is to go and intimidate you. To let you know this place is mine. Look around, church. It's not hard to discover that. I want you to know several things about the devil. I'm not going to go into great detail here. First of all, the devil is real. Scripture says that the devil was a created being by God. Notice that word, created. He is subservient. He is lower class than God. He was created. But he is real. He's powerful. But he is not able. He is not able to act beyond what God allows him. He's dangerous. Don't sit here this morning thinking that you can go and engage one-on-one with the devil after leaving here. Such teaching is false and dangerous. But he's nowhere, nowhere near as powerful as our God. Remember that. I love reminding folks when we, re- we look at the devil and how, how dangerous and how powerful he is because he is powerful. Michael, the archangel, may be his counterpart. But remember that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You're not greater, but God is. I love that promise. The devil's hunting. This is his territory. This is his feeding ground. And he is hunting. He is on the prowl. He is looking to take down the church. He is not omnipresent. Satan is not omnipresent. That is a characteristic of God and God only. 
We give him far way, way too much credit sometimes. He's angry at God, and because of that, he is also our adversary. But do not consider Satan and God equal adversaries. We have movies like Star Wars that depict the, the force and, and the dark That is not a picture of, of God and Satan. At the very moment, God says, enough, it is done. In fact, when we look, we see that Satan already has been defeated by Christ at Calvary. That alone should bring you joy and peace as you leave here today. He is wounded. And he is already lost. So don't give him too much power, but respect. Respect the danger that he presents. He has been deceiving mankind from the very beginning. I love the illustration. We were at the fire department one time and we were learning about electricity. That's always fun. And the guy, in order to make his point, pulled out a stun gun. He goes, which one of you guys wants to be a volunteer? None of the guys raised their hand. He's like, I, I just need one volunteer to take this in the neck. <laughs> we started backing up. He goes, no, really. It's just a noise. Finally, one brave soul that we all volunteered to do it <laughs> stepped up and took it. We learned some things about electricity. There's a reason stun guns are illegal in most states. They don't work. It just makes a noise. The devil is a wounded foe, and Jesus Christ has already won the victory. But we're to remain sober as we approach him. And it says one other thing that we are to resist him. Notice that Peter doesn't say, Grab your swords. He knew about that. He wasn't very good with it. Okay, and he says, Take off his ear. No, just kidding. No, he said, resist him. Resistance is a place of a stance. You plant your feet and you resist the pressure that is coming towards you. We are in to engage lost souls for the, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are to engage with this salvation that Jesus Christ has given. We are to resist the pressures of the devil. Understand who we face, but resist him. Stand in your faith. Stand. I love that. I am going to stand on the grace. I am going to stand on the truth. I am going to stand on the work that Jesus Christ did. And I will resist his lies and the pressures that he will bring in my life. That's what Peter's saying. He says, and you know the truth, knowing this. I love that Peter does that. In his second letter, he is going to refer to what we know over and over and over. So you better start studying. Because he's referencing what we already know. Knowing this, you stand firm. And he says, by the way, did you notice when Peter was closing that argument? He goes, everybody else is. 
Am I gone? Nope, there we go. You are not alone. He addresses those around the world. Your brothers and sisters around the world are doing this too. Oh, it's so much better to stand with someone by your side. It's so much better to stand with someone who has your back, is it not? And and we are called as the church, we are called as the flock of God to come together and stand together. Oh, there is safety in that church. And then he says, really suffer well. That was probably your favorite part, wasn't it? That we're to really suffer well. I, I think there's a lot to be said for that. As you and I share in the glory of Christ. Part of sharing in that glory is sharing in His suffering. And and look at what comes of this when we consider the the suffering of Jesus Christ. The outcome of it in entering into that will be that we are made perfect. He will perfect you and I. This right now is an ongoing process. It will not happen this side of heaven. Oh, but when we are enter into glory, into His glory, we will be made perfect, complete, adequate, sufficient. Oh, I can't wait till that day. When the stains of sin no longer plague my my body and my soul. He said, He Himself will confirm it to make stronger, to, to that sense of being firm and unchanging. Do you realize it creates a steadfastness in us? And then we will be strengthened. I am so glad that Jesus Christ is the one who strengthens me. Because some days I don't feel like I can go one step further. And he says, Jed, just stand firm in the faith. In the truth. I will strengthen you. And there's an establishing, a steadfastness that comes through the hardships of suffering. You see, church, I want to really suffer well. Because when I suffer well, I point to Jesus Christ in greater ways than I ever could without suffering. And that's what he calls us to. Peter is saying, it's not about you, it's not about me, it's about him. He's the one building his church. He's doing this. And as we go through this, we point to him. And we realize his peace. Peter wrote to churches, multiple churches, Who are suffering. There are those in this room who are going through difficult times. Hardships that very few, if any, even know about. 
Some of you are, are even facing persecution on some levels. Peter testifies of the grace of God. He looks at that salvation and he says, because of that, I have peace. Because of that, you can have peace. Church, stand firm in it. We're not to go out and enjoy suffering. No one enjoys it. But under the precious, strong hand of God, we can endure it with peace. Knowing all that He has done. This letter that Peter writes is to the suffering. It's very practical. And for the suffering... God offers peace. And we see it greatest when we come together. Church, I come here on a Sunday morning not just to declare that truth and as amazing as it is, but I need you. I need the church. You need the church. And when we come together, we are able to go out, we are able to face those things with peace. Reminding each other of the truth. Reminding each other that we're not alone. And because of it, we are able to stand firm. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, that you would use him to, to write to churches, to write to our church here in Parachute, Colorado, to encourage us, challenge us. And God, as we look to you, as we look to your word, we find peace. Thank you. Thank you that you not only gave us your son and the salvation through him, but you practically, in very real ways, minister to our lives. God, my prayer today is that each one here listening would leave here understanding your peace. God, if there is any that have not entered into that relationship with you, that is where it starts. I pray that they would seek you out. So God, we say thank you. Thank you for this letter. Thank you for giving us your word for this life that you have called us to live for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me pull over there. Going back.